yeah. Welcome to another episode of the Overtime Show. I'm your host, Colby Smith, and with me today is my guest, Tim Keck. Hey, <laughs> point of order. Kawhi Leonard to the Toronto Raptors. Will he stay after this year, even if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, which you think they should be able to? Because he could be. He's the best player in the East now. That's right. He's the best player in the East. And they were the best team last year. They were number one. The only thing that can take out a Raptor is LeBron James. If he was in Jurassic Park, that movie would be half the length. <laughs> I know you're going to want to talk about the Mets, but if you could please spend a little bit of time talking about the NBA, I'd appreciate it. I'm going to sit back and let you guys answer. That's right. Now, Tim mentioned a couple of things I want to follow up on right away. Number one, the Mets. You will notice that I am not Joe. Tim is not Joe, nor are we any of the other usual hosts of this hour of programming right here on Radio Free Brooklyn until noon. That's the right. The Point of Order crew is away in Saratoga this week, I believe, for Joe's birthday. Um, so I am filling in for him. I'm Colby Smith. I host Young Persons Radio, which is right before this program on Sunday mornings at 10 on Radio Free Brooklyn. And every time we fill in, which is a fair amount anymore, you know, I, I like I like to think I'm a, a, a sort of a stepfather to this show, a sort of a, a or maybe maybe a, a more beloved figure than a stepfather. I think every time I come on, people are just like, "Ooh, it's a nice surprise. Colb's back hosting this the eleven o'clock hour. I feel like I've been catfished. But every time we uh, every time we do it, we like to call it the overtime show, and we at least play uh, lip service to the sports thing. So welcome to the overtime show, everybody. Our number nine zero four three five one zero seven two nine. That's nine zero four three five one zero seven two nine. If you want to call in, and I would like you to, if you're a point of order listener. If you're a young person's radio listener, if you're a special fan of just the overtime show and nothing else that any of us involved with it at any level do, call into the show. 904-351-0729. What are we talking about today? Well, Kawhi to the Raptors. We are? <laughs> Talk are about we really? it. Oh, my God. Talk about it. I don't know. You know what's weird is, okay, so the San Antonio Spurs are a culture that has held up to the highest levels in the NBA. They are the uh, uh, I can't uh, the Patriots of the NBA, mm -hmm. as in the, the New England Patriots, like where that's Who the is? franchise. The, the the San Antonio Spurs what? are held up as the franchise where they, the franchise of the NBA. They're the franchise that has sustained success for the longest period of time. Tim Duncan, since they drafted Tim Duncan. They have they have been in contention. They've been one of the highest uh, teams. They've always got a high playoff seed. They've won a number of championships over a long period of time under the reign of Popovich, and they've always been held up okay. as this like high uh, a high standard. I honestly feel like Greg Popovich is more famous than the Spurs. Like he himself is is he is a character. Like he's a legendary basketball character. He's the legendary basketball yeah. character. But Tim Duncan's one of the best players of all time. Right. I don't know. I don't know enough about basketball to say definitively, but like, <laughs> you know, he's like top 10 Jake greatest Bob players of all time. Yeah. And they're a great franchise and they just don't have problems. And mm. something happened that sent this guy, who is probably the second best player, the second best player in the NBA. Mm -hmm. the, the, set, the one guy you want, Cole. Mm -hmm. like yeah. One of the few guys that you can build an entire franchise around. They did something. That offended this guy so much that he had to leave. He just wanted to leave. He oh, to get out of I see. What's the behind the scenes that led to this? Well, supposedly there was an injury. Uh, he got hurt. Kawhi got hurt. And the Spurs wanted him to play or they thought he could play again. Kawhi didn't think he could play again. And then some more drama unfolded. And the, the exact 
I guess, uh, parameters of this are unclear, like what caused such a huge rift. But it seemed like he thought he needed to rest more, and the Spurs didn't. They thought he could play. Mm-hmm. Tony Parker comes out against him, is like the, the you know the captain of the teams. Like I don't know, I've had worse injuries. I don't know why he's not playing. Mm-hmm. And then he starts moping. And he's like, "What's going on? Why are they being so mean to me?" Uh, you know, both sides. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. One, you've got a guy you're playing, you're paying twenty million dollars a year to, who's supposed to be the star of your team, and he just doesn't want to play when you think he should play. Yeah. And the other guy is like. Yo, I'm the I'm the face of the franchise. Why don't you believe me when I think that I have this serious issue that I'm trying to get addressed? I would play if I could. How is it possible that the Warriors have Boogie Cousins now? Boogie Cousins, because he tore his Achilles <laughs> and he's a gigantic man and he will never play I mean, basketball I know. as well as he did before. He's <laughs> gonna be terrible. He won't I mean his career's over, I think. But how are I mean, how can they afford how can they afford this? Because they're paying him five million dollars a year. They're paying him a minimum. Not a minimum contract. I don't know enough about the contracts, but mm-hmm. they're paying him five million dollars a year, which is nothing. I will say that's this: like a, that's anybody. I know because of basketball, I feel like I know more about contract law in the United States <laughs> than anything else. Yes. I feel like uh, lo- look, lawyers got nothing on me. Is what I'm trying to say. You lawyers, let's. I want to call you out, lawyers, right now. Any lawyers listening, you ain't got nothing on me. Okay, you think just because you're going to your fancy schools and you stay there in your ivory tower for a couple years and you're just reading all these big, like dusty books all the time that you got something on me. Well, let me tell you, it's nothing. You got nothing. You got nothing. Lawyers, you got nothing. So what I find interesting uh, about this is is uh, I think you'd appreciate this. Is that Kawhi was like, okay, I don't want to be in San Antonio anymore. I want to go to the Los Angeles Lakers, the city of angels. Lawyers! The yin to the yang of New York City. You've got nothing! He's going to Dodgers games with Magic Johnson. He's having the time of his life out there. Doctors! There's tons of wing stops out there. He's got a sponsorship with them. He loves their jalapeno poppers. Get! You suck, doctors! And, and he's like, I want to leave and go to L.A. And Popovich and the Spurs organization was like, uh, fuck you. And they sent him to Canada. They just traded him to Toronto, the coldest city in the world. Kawhi Leonard famously hates the cold and no wing stops in Toronto. Cops! A cab, baby. So I play fantasy baseball. Yes. Um... And uh, um, I I was so into it for the first like like couple months. Right. This is my first time playing fantasy baseball. I've never played fantasy baseball. I played for the first time last year. Mm-hmm. I believe and, you took my spot in this, <laughs> in this league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I played fantasy baseball. I was real into it. I like got some good people in the draft. I was excited yeah. about. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other story. But I really thought uh, John Carlos Stanton was going to be my guy this year. He was my first round pick, and I was just mm-hmm. like, "There's all this, but like he's going to be a great Yankee, like all this stuff." And he's just been okay. And that's like that's neither here nor there. What I'm starting, what I'm trying to say to get back to basketball is, is I was I was into <laughs> uh, I was into uh, fantasy baseball for the first part of the season, and then the NBA playoffs started to happen. And I was watching all of those games, and I was like, I can't get into baseball now. Like, this is too exciting. I was, it was like, I was, I was into this thing. I was just building it, and I was like, listening to baseball tonight. <laughs> I was listening to what, what's his, what's that guy's name? I was listening to uh, uh, what is he's got like a dumb name. Baseball tonight. It's not Boogie. It's something like that. Boog Shambi. Buster Olney. 
Buster only. Just Boog Shambi. He I, have no I don't know. I don't know about baseball. Uh, uh, but then, you know, and I was into it, and I was following everything. I got the major stories, but then basketball came along, and I was just like, nope, this is what I like. I think baseball uh, started <laughs> coming around, you know, at a time where you still have to crank your car to, to turn it on. <laughs> you know, like, uh, <sighs> there were three channels. One of them was going to be your local team. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people didn't travel farther than two miles from their home. I'm just, I don't know. I don't, I just, it feels like a, a bygone era in which people read books and listened to the radio and moving pictures were fascinating. And yeah. so now they're like, man, this is a sport <laughs> where, where grown men, they hit a ball and it's the most exciting thing. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just such a slower pace. And it's just, I, I, if, I love going to the park. Mm -hmm. I love hanging out. I love watching a good game. I love seeing some really fun, awesome baseball games. Right. But outside of the live medium, okay. I don't understand. I can't follow it. It's just, there's too much stuff. There's too many things to follow. Right. But basketball, I mean, if you want to call in, by the way, and uh, dispute this, 904-351-0729. That's 904-351-0729. Please do call. Um, here's what I want to ask you, Tim. Yes. You're... I've been thinking about this a lot. What? Whatever you're about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you famously, 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 do not have an NBA team. I do not. That you root for. No, Despite really. being a, a, from Florida, you don't root for Orlando or Miami. Right. Well, Miami is a whole nother world. It'd be like living in Brooklyn and rooting for New Jersey. It's just okay. it's like close, but it's not the same. Or even like Brooklyn and Queens, mm -hmm. like or, people in Astoria aren't like, yeah, I love the Nets. It's mm -hmm. just it's such a gap. I grew up on the beach like an hour outside of Orlando. Yeah. And Orlando is this like Disney uh, touristy hub of, of stuff. And mm -hmm. Miami is like the South. It's like seven hours okay. away. Okay. I didn't just go to Miami like on the weekends yeah. and hang out. You know, they're totally different worlds. Mm -hmm. Now that I've moved farther away and I start representing Florida more as a state than right. I ever have before. Right, right. Like my Florida pride has grown so much. I've, I've thought about, you know, maybe you're an yeah. Orlando fan yeah. or maybe a Heat fan mm -hmm. just because it's representing my state. But other than that, I don't I don't know. I want to I want to be burdened with a team. Mm -hmm. You know, the way my father burdened me with New York Jets fandom, the way my family burdened me with the University of Florida burden. Mm -hmm. I needed somebody to burden me. With an NBA team, and then it just just never happened. Yeah, yeah. I love the NBA. I watched all the. I've pretty much watched whatever team LeBron's been on. Right. I watched the Spurs back in the day when Tim Duncan was there. My mm -hmm. dad was always like, "Yeah, here's how you shoot. You use the backboard." He's like, "The only guy in the NBA who uses the square." You know. That's so funny. Yeah. It's the I once when I was I was 12 years old, I went to a basketball camp uh, for just like a week in the summertime. Right. And you get there, and it's like it's out. It's on these like outdoor courts at a community college in in uh, Western Maryland, and uh, uh, you're just like shooting around with with the guys, you know, before the thing starts, and you're like introducing yourself and whatever. We're shooting around. We're playing like a little pickup game. That's I mean, it's like it's eight a.m. You know, nobody's like going any hard at all. We're playing a pickup game. I get I get a I get a a, a pass to me, and then I shoot and I, I shoot a bank shot, and it goes in. Right, the most animated anyone had been. Up until that point in the day was this guy on the other team saying to me, hey, man, banks are closed today. Like he was, very mad. Shot he was very mad. He was very mad that I shot a bank shot. I remember being so confused. I was like, is that I was looking around. Is that not allowed? I don't know. It I... was very, very funny. Even at the time I knew. <laughs> yeah is it a higher percentage shot 
I don't know this, but I know uh, Rick Riley did an article back in Sports Illustrated. Back in the day, it was like a little bit of a story. Mm-hmm. Was there's an NBA player who I think holds still holds the record for free throw percentage. Mm-hmm. He's shot the the highest number of free throws, like the best percentage. He was the best at it, and he shot granny style, like an NBA player back in the day. Spread his legs at the line, held the ball in two hands, and gently underhanded it into the hoop. And it's an easier shot. It's been like mathematically proven that there's a higher success rate because the ball's just going up real gently and it bounces and there's a better chance of it going in. And nobody will shoot that way because it's not cool. Mm -hmm. And this guy was trying to petition NBA player Shaquille O'Neal, famously one of the worst free throw shooters of all time. One of the worst ever. An incredible basketball player. Could have been one of the best maybe if he tried a little bit more. (laughs) But he refused to shoot Granny because he said it wasn't cool. And it would have... Well, it's not. It arguably would have helped his free throw percentage. So I'm wondering if that's the the situation with the bank shot. I don't know. Was the bank shot a more efficient shot? Do you have a higher likelihood of scoring if you're using the bank shot? I would would love... I don't know. I have no idea. But maybe it just became out of vogue. Maybe it's not cool anymore. I mean, I don't think it's cool. (laughs) I do think, though, that if Shaquille O'Neal had been shooting... um. Uh, granny style uh, uh, free throws this whole time, he would be even more of an icon than he is. I think he, that would only add to his legend. You know, if he'd done it, other people would be doing it. Yeah. Because now you've got the NBA is becoming less and less about big men. Yes. Because everyone's shooting threes now. They're all spreading out on the perimeter. They're well, shooting yes. Threes, and you need a big man who can go out on the perimeter and guard somebody mm-hmm. like a Draymond Green and can make all these whatever play and can potentially shoot a three. Right. And guys like Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal would obviously still be probably still be dominant in this game because he's a gigantic monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was not like a shooter. As far as I remember, he wasn't shooting threes from deep. Uh, so, oh, my gosh, I just lost my train of thought. What we're, talking <laughs> we're talking about. Uh, um Granny style foul shots. Right. So if he starts <clears throat> shooting grannies, then other guys start shooting grannies. And these people with the, who shoot the worst free throw percentage are already part of a dying position. Yeah. Like the guy like DeAndre Jordan is like, you know, the, he'll never get paid as much as he could have gotten paid because all he does is like rebound and dunk. Yeah. And shoot like 20 percent from the free throw <laughs> line. And if DeAndre Jordan would shoot a granny shot, he could stay in the league way longer. Yeah. And all these centers could. They have mm-hmm. their free throw percentage. All of a sudden, they're way more valuable. I feel like it would. I I feel like if people, if anyone started shooting granny shot free throws like consistently, it would be the greatest. I would be so happy. So I would funny. think it was so funny, and I think people would love it. I think people would love it. I think <laughs> I think it could be like it could revolutionize. It could change the world. If someone started shooting granny style free shots, it could change the world. It there was there was a term, kids would be inspired. Dads could be like, see, like Shaq's anyone doing can do it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a term called hack a Shaq, mm-hmm. which is at the end of the game. They would just smack. They would foul him intentionally yeah. to send him to the free throw line because they knew he was going to miss. And it's the difference between him scoring two points automatically or him right. <laughs> making zero. Right. He he starts shooting granny. Hankashack is not a thing. Yeah. He just evolves past it. Now, Tim. Yes. Oh, we got a caller on the line. We got a caller on Let's the line. Let's call him in. I was going to say. I hope it's Shaquille O'Neal so I can call her. You're on face. the overtime show with me and Tim Keck. Hello, fellas. Hey, is that Matt Strickland? 
It's me, Matt Strickland. Hey! We're talking basketball, buddy. I know. That's <laughs> why I call. <laughs> just, by the way, before I you go on, this like is Matt Strickland, you. one of the co-hosts of the Tower of Hoops podcast. Oh, thanks for the plug. <laughs> I, uh... I just wanted. I'm very intrigued with this whole, uh, this whole granny style shooting conversation. Matt, it could change I, uh, the world. Change the I world. I do agree that it could change the world. People start shooting uh, granny Barry style free was throws. The guy you were talking about. Who? What's Rick Barry. Rick Barry. Rick Barry. Okay. It's Barry time. <laughs> That's yeah, my favorite show on HBO. Granny style. And Rick also, Barry. I just wanted to call in and give you this little anecdote because I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh. Similar to how Shaq was really bad, dominant physically, but really bad at free throw shooting, Wilt Chamberlain was mm. also similarly. Ooh, and Wilt Chamberlain guy. actually, for one season, shot yes. free throws granny style. And oh, wow. And his percentage skyrocketed. He shot way better, and then uh, he stopped doing it because it wasn't cool. That was his 100-point season, right? The one where he got the 100-point game? Wasn't he shooting grannies in that game? Uh, maybe I'm not sure which season it was, but it was interesting to me that he was bad, and then for one season he was like, "I'll try this." Rick works for Rick Barry, and uh, yeah, and then he shot over sixty percent for the only time ever, and yeah. he averaged fifty points a game, and then he stopped doing it. What? Why would you stop? Because it wasn't cool. Well, there you go. <laughs> but also, I mean, do you think if Wilt Chamberlain had kept? shooting free throws that he would not have slept with as many women. Is that what you're saying? I think Will Chamberlain was going to sleep with that. Man <laughs> that's no how I what. feel. I mean, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't have to worry about being cool. He's Will Chamberlain. The picture of him holding up the piece of paper with the 100 on it was just how many women he'd slept with that week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think it's an insecurity issue. I think there's just rampant insecurity in the NBA. They don't talk about it because mm-hmm. it's all well, it's macho. All, you know, uh, got swag. Yeah, but there's just there's a lot of insecurity in the NBA, and I think we need to. I, I think you should go on this crusade. Uh, I think it would be good for the league. I think you're right. It would be good for the world. Uh, I mean, Tal Hoops. We've we've been on DeAndre Jordan about this for for years because mm-hmm. he's uh, he's famously the Tal Hoops' least favorite player because he doesn't do Granny style. <laughs> what else would you say is an example of insecurities in the in NBA? the NBA or in life? In in, in <laughs> I mean, in life they're numerous, but in the NBA specifically, are there any like NBA insecurity things that come to mind? Besides the granny style thing? Besides think, the granny style um, thing. Like, I was thinking, like, uh, doesn't Kevin Durant have, like, a ton of tattoos, but they're all hidden under his jersey? Oh, yeah. That seems like a weird insecurity thing to me, right? I like, mean, Kevin Durant is the most insecure player. Kevin Durant, I mean, famously made fake Twitter accounts to, yes. to, 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 to argue with children about him on online. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Is it? Okay. Is it? Is it is this a difference in between baseball and basketball too? Is that when there's a story about Twitter in the NBA, it's like somebody has a fake Twitter account to say like nice things about themselves or talk like shit to the haters. Mm-hmm. And then when there's a scandal about Twitter in baseball, it's about how somebody used like a ton of racial slurs like two years ago. <laughs> there was just a huge story in baseball there about was. that. Yes. And then and then the fans like applaud this guy 
like, uh, yeah, you know, I was a bigot two years ago, but now I'm mm-hmm. a baseball player. Everything's changed. It's, it's like, the prodigal son. We were talking about this yesterday. I don't know. Yes, yes, we were. It's th- that that to well, to leave and come back, to stray from the narrow path and to come back is celebrated and is seen as the greater achievement more than staying on the path, staying on the straight and narrow the whole time. Right? I don't know if that's true. I think it is. It's possible. Well, okay, let's so wait maybe... until Louis C.K. has a career again, then we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Think yeah, you're right. That's different. I don't think it's true. I mean, <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> yeah, immediately, immediately, <laughs> immediately, it's over. But what if Louis came back bigger and better than ever? And he came back, and he, he did a uh, he did a whole season. And you know what? I don't want to I don't want to follow this bit at all. Yeah, you know, it just this is bumming bumming everybody out. There's there is like a difference though. I think when you see all these like Twitter things and the and the the baseball guy. I remember I would look through his tweets because sometimes people complain about these old tweets or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, I this is clearly a joke, mm-hmm. you know. And it's probably a bad joke, and it's in bad taste. Mm-hmm. But it was you know six years ago. They were in their teens. And they're clearly trying to make a joke or whatever. And I feel like there's a there's an obvious difference to me mm-hmm. between that and somebody who's just using like just a racist, just you yeah. being bigot, you know, being a bigot and just saying offensive things. There's a clear tonal thing, mm-hmm. and I just don't hold jokes in the same regard, mm-hmm. even if it's a bad joke, even if it's an offensive joke. I just don't. I just don't put the same weight on. I that. mean, I think it depends on the joke. Yes, uh, of course. Um, There's the James Gunn see, thing. I see what, yeah, yeah. The James Gunn Twitter thing. The entire cast came out and, and defended this guy. And I read through the jokes, and they're gross and they're not funny, but they're clearly jokes. Mm-hmm. What yeah. was the joke? I never even heard the joke. He made a bunch of jokes, and the punchline was all like, um, I don't know, like uh, it was pedophile jokes. Yeah, it was like weird, weird pedophile jokes that are clearly jokes, but they're also, but they're not funny. But no. it'll be like. Uh, Gosh, is Colby looking them up? And then Colby might be looking looking them up. But they're clearly jokes. And I read them and I was like, oh, these are not funny. These are really gross. But I don't know if this is the same as just somebody just coming out and saying stuff. Some of these are. The thing about the James Gunn thing was confusing to me was that Disney had known about these tweets for a long time. So by firing Mm -hmm. him, it seemed like it was Disney being like, oh, we. It was almost. The we're scared we got caught, not we we're scared we did the thing bad or something. Yeah, like they were fine is. with these tweets as long as they were swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. I think that's whatever. everything. I they don't know. know if it's a big deal until until it's made a big deal. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just like, oh yeah, some some dirty old tweets. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like Disney could claim any sort of moral high ground. Right, and then as soon they as people complain, the they're like, oh yeah, we got to get rid of them, and that's an easy out. It feels like. Is just trying to fire yeah, this Dis- guy. I'm going to say it right here. Disney, you're a bunch of fucking cowards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they own every... Disney on blast. They, at, by the end of the year, will own almost the entire American media landscape after this Fox deal goes through. But you know what they don't own? Radio Free Brooklyn, baby. Yeah, baby. We Fuck are Disney. owned. This, we're, this is like the Packers. We are owned by you. We are only accountable to you, the listener. So, Death to the mouse. That's Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're coming for you, Mickey. Maybe that's what Dead Mouse is about this whole time. Uh, can I become an Orlando Magic fan and still passionately dislike? Did you Disney? like you like how I made a Dead Mouse reference like it was 2010? 
Jesus Christ. Why can't I have any current interest <laughs> in media? What are what's even a show that's on right now? You know what I just watched the other day? House. House? Love it. House is still on? No. I wish, though. How many houses is this guy going to build? I wish. <sighs> I wish. Hey, guys, um, here's what I want to I talk about. This is the overtime show, so there are two more things we have to talk about uh, that we always talk Over about. Over and time. One is, uh, uh, one is eSports. Hell yeah. London won the Overwatch finals. Overwatch. Uh, here at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Uh, they went against Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Fusion. And I live and breathe that Philadelphia Fusion. They were booed. London was booed when they stepped foot in the final uh, match. Um, but finally, uh, finally prevailed. And this was a sold out thing for several days here in New York City. And uh, I think esports has arrived. There was an interesting Ringer article about this where there was a team that was slated to dominate. Mm-hmm. They had, and the numbers on this are, are fascinating. I don't know anything about esports. I'm not good at video games. Mm-hmm. I don't play any of them. But the stats on this are akin to baseball, basketball, football, mm-hmm. whatever. You can look at the percentages and tell what's going on. And this team was winning like 60% of its matches, which apparently is an astronomical number and was enough for them to like, you know, skein to the finals. They were supposed to be one of the heavy favorites. Mm-hmm. And then before this tournament at the Barclays Center, mm-hmm. this game Overwatch added a new character that ne- completely negated this team's strategy, which was a strategy that had gained them so much success. Mm-hmm. And that happened right before a major, I don't know how much about Overwatch, but I knew about this tournament. I feel like everybody knew about this tournament. It was, it was I mean, here, Barclays here in New York, it was very much a, a, it, it, was, it was a big event. It was a big event. And that's crazy. That's something that esports would need to figure out, I think, mm-hmm. at some point. Is you know you don't go into the NBA and then you know you're in the playoffs and someone's like yeah we're gonna add a four point shot from half court <laughs> figure it out guys <laughs> yeah you know you wait till the season's over and then you make these changes and mm-hmm. I don't know are these turn are these tournaments just freestyle they just pop up whenever and they just kind of deal with it or or maybe the game has to like figure out exactly when they are releasing these updates that that, that part's fascinating to me because yeah. rule changes and the way the game evolves it's constantly evolving yeah. yeah well I think it's also a good hook to keep people playing for probably longer than they would because you know if you're just playing a game if you're playing a video game it's just like well i beat this now and like maybe i'll play when my friends come over uh but you know i'm not gonna be playing it all the time now with this it's just like it gets updated so uh, uh to like such a degree that it's like a different game sometimes like some of the updates are and then there's like new skins for different characters and you can get like new. it's like it's constantly evolving it's a new era tim if but- let me just say this if people started playing Overwatch underhand, it could change the world. If they spread their legs, <laughs> squatted down, held the remote in two hands, and just gently rocked it up towards the TV, everything it could change. change the world. Just to the mouse! <laughs> I, is okay. Overwatch a shooting game? It is. Is it like a first-person shooter game? Mm-hmm. It is? Yes, yes. Okay, I have a I have an NBA related take to this okay. because I love the NBA. And I'm going to tie it in, and then I would like Strickland to rule to ring in on this. I think one of the great things about the NBA is that, like this esports thing, they are evolving the game, and they are still trying to figure out the best way to play and keep it interesting. Over the summer, they've been toying around with this idea of the seven point thing. Have you heard about this, Matt? Where with four minutes no, left in the this? game, and with four minutes left in an NBA game, 
they're going to add seven points to the score of whoever, whatever the the person, the team that's ahead, they're going to add seven points to that score. And the first team to reach that number wins the game. So if you have, if the winning team is 93 points with four minutes left in the game, they erase the clock and it's a race to whichever team gets to a hundred points first. And they're just experimenting with this. They're like, you know, every game ends with a game winning shot. It would really, it would really change the way the end of a game is played. It would speed it up a lot. It would change the strategy. Uh, I don't know if it's actually going to make it to the NBA. It doesn't seem incredibly likely that that's going to actually affect the NBA. But the fact that they're experimenting with these ideas is fascinating. And it's what separates it from baseball, where this the league is constantly trying to evolve and expand these ideas. It's great. I love the uh, I love the experimental nature of the NBA. I think Adam Silver is doing a lot of cool stuff. I, I'm excited for I think we'll eventually get that sort of midseason tournament or end of the year tournament for that Bill Simmons is always talking about. Yes. Uh, for I think that's a real thing. This will never happen, the seven point thing. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's a crazy idea. And I'm not sure I, I like it. Mm. I like the ingenuity. Yeah. I don't know if I love it either, but but it's awesome that they're doing it, isn't it? Doesn't it get you excited that it they're is trying exciting. with this stuff? I think this is I think this this is part of what's so exciting about it is that it adds such nuance to the argument of like who's the greatest of all time, because the, as the rules change and evolve, it's like, well, it's a completely different game for like for LeBron to be playing it than for when Jordan was, right? Yeah, I mean, it already is. You you look at uh, Larry Bird. Mm-hmm. compared to Steph Curry. Larry Bird, you know, was one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. He shot 38% or something and took one and a half or two a game. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steph is jacking up like nine. I actually, uh, my food's here. Hold on. Really? No way. That's, that's, that's crazy. Oh, I really thought he was going to do it. I thought so, too. <laughs> 904-351-0729 if you want to call in. That's 904-351-0729. we got Matt Strickland on the line right now. He's the host of the Tao of Hoops podcast. Uh, and I'm Colby Smith filling in for the Point of Order guys here. Uh, and my guest is Tim Keck in the studio. And uh, this is the Overtime Show, everybody, where we talk about three things every time. Sports, esports, and the role of art in society. Let's do it. Matt, did you hear that part? Do you think... Uh... What? Did you hear that part or that I just said? Uh, yeah, I just had to – I put you on hold for a second while I answered the delivery guy. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm going to get my food now. I realize this is a bit that Tim has done on the show before, but this is not a bit. I really I'm thought that you phone. were going to do one of your own just now. No, I don't – I mean, I have no interest in Tim's <laughs> like Thank you. <laughs> Mediocre. So yeah. I'd, I'd love to segue this <laughs> – I'd love to segue this conversation into our third uh, our third topic for um, uh, for the for the show, which is the role of art in society. Ugh. It has no <laughs> role. We don't need it. Get out there and build something. Here's build the thing. a house for somebody. Let, let me introduce the topic in the following way. Ugh. I recently uh, picked up a collection of Tom Wolfe essays. Tom Wolfe is a uh, <laughs> no, no. Here we go. Tom Wolfe. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tom Wolfe was a, a most he was a, a new journalist in the 1960s uh, and uh, was later best known probably for, for his sucking his novel The Bonfire of the Vanities, which was a New York City novel about law and race and class and all of Start a bonfire things. and throw all his books in it. He wow, died recently. He died so recently. Much. He also wrote The Right Stuff, which is a book about the astronauts. Uh, like the wrong stuff. He died recently, and I picked up a collection of his essays Good. called <laughs> called Hooking Up is the name of this collection. Oh, about fishing? There's an essay in the book. It came out in 1999-2000, right around there. There's an Good, essay in the book called My Three Stooges. And in it, he talks about after he wrote his second book, his second novel, uh, A Man in Full, which Ugh. was the literary sensation of 1996. More like full of shit. It was a huge bestseller. He got the, he got the cover of Time magazine. Uh, and then he was pr- uh, quickly denounced in the literary press by uh, the likes of John Updike, Norman Mailer, and uh, John Irving. You know, one of these things is not like the other. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> So in this essay, My Three Stooges, he basically responds to their bad response to this book by saying they're just jealous. They're just jealous that my book is selling better than any book of theirs has in a long time. And here's why. The last novel John Updike wrote was a basically a fan fiction about two characters from Hamlet, you know, and uh, uh, the other two are writing similarly indulgent, like way too uh, uh, navel gazing subjects for the books and his argument is that in order to have a book that connects to the zeitgeist in some way you have to make yourself be out in the world you have to go out to places talk to people experience their way of life and then come back filter that through your own artistic perspective and then make something that is trying to connect with them as well as to yourself unfortunately because now we have to talk to this wolf guy He's out here asking how my day's going. I'm like, leave me the fuck alone, Wolf. I'm not reading your shit. <laughs> With your white suits. Stop you, writing about me. You freak. <laughs> you white suited freak. Get out of here. My question to you, gentlemen, is do you think he's right? I will never say that Thomas Wolf is right. <laughs> I will go to my grave cursing his name. <laughs> Well, that settles that. I don't know. What, do you got to venture into the world? See, I, I think at some point you need to seclude yourself, completely cut yourself off from everything, mm-hmm. and really dive into the art. Yeah, I, love I think this. it's a period love this. of, of uh, you know, I think there is, you need that relaxing. You need to be connected to the real world. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, you need to cut ties with it in order to really get into the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You need to get into the art. If you want to do a great whatever, if you want to write a really good book, what do all these guys do? They go to a cabin in the woods, and they don't they don't call their families. Their, their husbands or wives don't know if they're alive or dead. <laughs> they come back in a month, and they've written, you know, another a new novel, mm-hmm. you know? That's great. I'm all for that. But mm-hmm. in between... You know, you have to walk around, I guess. You got to see some stuff. Yeah. You got to bother people. You got to wear white suits. You got to get some feedback. You got to get some inspiration. But I think it's a duality of both, you know? Mm-hmm. This, uh, you know, uh, spending half your time between two worlds is, is a lot, you know? Yeah. Think about how much better this show would be if this was all you did. We locked you in here for <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. Right now, it's it's Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I think of, I think about that all the time. It's like, what if this was, uh, what if this were my job? You did this three hours. What if? Every day of the, Monday through Friday, you did this for three hours. Mm-hmm. The pace at which this evolved mm-hmm. would be, would be so much faster. Right. And the entire structure of the show would change. Maybe. You know, wouldn't I mean? It, it was I mean, I like to change, think right? I like to think it's pretty perfect the way that it it's is. It's pretty perfect, but also you've been working on this a these long are the time. Three topics. You? These haven't are the you? these are the three topics: sports, esports, and the role of art in society. That's what that's what Jung was talking about. That's what Freud was talking about. Those three things underlie everyone's personality. I think you're gonna talk. That's what Jung was talking about. That's what Persons was talking about. <laughs> that's what radio was talking about. <laughs> Matt, are you on the line still, or are you chowing down on your I'm breakfast? I'm here. I'm listening. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm taking it all in. Okay. Going ham on those okay. breakfast wings. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, you have to uh, seclude yourself sometimes for great art. I mean, that's what the Allman Brothers did, and they're sort of my benchmark for all great <laughs> art. Uh, they went out to record. Uh-huh. Wild South in the, uh, you know, northern upstate New York. Um, but I also think that you look at someone like Jerry Seinfeld, who uh, has, you know, sort of does not live in the real world anymore and has become so rich and, and he's not funny anymore. Well, you know, it's you so know interesting I mean? that you say that because uh, just before this program, well, just before the 10 o'clock program, I was uh, talking to uh, my guest on Young Persons Radio, Sandy Honig, a podcast available on Friday, uh, about how uh, uh, she saw Jerry Seinfeld at the Beacon in December and then said he was great, that he was like doing jokes about like going into bodegas and stuff, that he was like oh, still, so he does live in the world. He was still connected still in some stand. way. Yeah, I think if you stop living in the real world, you're going to not be funny. Like, I never want to hear fucking Prince Harry <laughs> tell me a story. Well, see, that. yeah, there you go. There you go. I think it. I think it's somewhat different for, um, ver, you know what? Actually, that's not true. I was going to say I think it's different for people whose, whose primary medium is, is – words like writers or or comedians or whatever but i think it's even true of like painters for example like if they're just if they're just like living on like a on 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 some dream world like they're not going to make anything that connects with people either but also i mean in today's in today's highly uh uh uh, sequestered high art world how does a painter make anything that connects with anybody it's all it's all behind these for-profit museums that you have to pay uh, 40 dollars to get into to see anything well, I mean, you could say that money is the the death of art to some extent, right? <laughs> well, Isn't sure. It? It's why uh, you know all uh, all road comics are uh, you know tend to be a little hackier than the people you know in the city or whatever doing like mm-hmm. clubs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess you know because like as soon as you start making money to do this thing, you have to do well. Mm-hmm. You have to succeed. You, you have, have to, to create going. something that is great. Right. And in the pursuit of of you know a higher art, you might not create greatness you mm-hmm. might produce something that's okay or it might be bad you, mm-hmm. i mean a lot of people fail in the pursuit of doing something you know new that's never been done before mm-hmm. you know so uh you can't take those risks the same way when you're yeah. you, you're dependent on that for your income uh i mean i think there is something to 
this idea of like like when I'm trying to write like stand up or I've got a project or something like that mm-hmm. and I'm out in the world even when I'm walking around it's like all I'm thinking about you know yeah, I'm like, like everything's things, a joke yeah it's like looking at like in the matrix you know where he looks at everything it's just all these streams of like green numbers and code like but that's how he sees a lamp this lamp is like green numbers and codes it's like I was looking for like jokes and stuff and then you go into work and it's like oh now I need to mentally transition yeah I got to be out of that from this creative mind to, you know, being like trying to get my job and what actually yeah. pays the bills. Right. And Checking think, things off the list. Yeah. And the opportunity to stay in one of those worlds or one of those mental frames uh, or state of minds for so long, uh, I think could be could be awesome. Mm-hmm. I think that's where like you really dive into the good shit. Yeah. Yeah. Having the time to to just stay in that kind of like floating kind of feeling. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's hard to get there. And then once you're there, you don't want to be, uh, you know. You don't want to be jolted out of it. You can get pulled out of it. Right. But I think I I think if I ever got to do like a fun acting role and go real method, mm-hmm. I would totally love to just like be gone, not speak to anyone I know <laughs> or care about for like two months and just be like, yo, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm going to be a psycho killer in a movie and I'm going to go out. I'm going to, you know, kill animals. Uh-huh. I'm going to wear their skin and pretend it's a person. Uh-huh. Really get into the mindset of what a killer is. It sounds like what you want is just a longer vacation. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. I got to just go away and not talk to anybody for a while. I needed to disappear into the wilderness with nothing on my back but a, a bolt action Tim, rifle. I would love nothing more than if, like, you disappeared for, like, three weeks. And I was just like, wow, Tim is really this, like... He's like not talking to anybody up in that cabin in in, in Rochester or wherever you are, and then he, you come back and you've made a Bonnie Vare type acoustic guitar album. You come back and you're just like, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about my college girlfriend. Here's ten songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. I I I uh crack myself It'd be up. great but how are you supposed to write 10 songs about your college girlfriend if you got to work a nine to five Cole? <laughs> right, it's true it's impossible it's hard matt can... <laughs> sorry to cut you yeah. off did you have more no i don't have anything matt what are the best allman brothers yeah. albums <laughs> what's the best, best Allman brothers yeah. album i mean studio or live studio baby although you brought this up i uh, since uh since we're talking about this i love a live album i think they're great I have so much fun listening to live albums of bands. And I don't know why they're like this weird, like in music criticism, they're this like weird second fiddle, like, oh, that's not a real thing. Like, they're kind of looked down on, I think. I love them. I think they're great. I think they're looked down on because I think a lot of bands would use them as cash grabs when they're like, oh, we don't have anything to put out this year. Sure. But it's never like new a, songs. The, the label would be like, oh, let's just put out a live album. And they weren't, there wasn't like thought put into them. Uh-huh. Well, like, but some I, live albums are like, oh, I want to do this with, oh, I want to make yes. this an album, and like, you know, they've they've put thought and process into it, and the live album is an artistic endeavor unto itself. Yes, but a lot of times, I think labels would be like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's just put, you know, put something out. I feel like the key to to having a good live album is you've got to have something new you've got to be offering something new whether it's like a rearranged version of a song that you that like the fans like where it's just like this is the same thing you like but here it is in a new way or it's like it captures something special about your show like if you always do this like call and response thing or if there's a cover that you play live that everybody loves that only the people you who see you live know 
like, and then that that's then they have that to like take home and keep. You know, there's that. Or I feel like this is probably why MTV Unplugged had such a moment in the early '90s because it was like all of these, all of these like big time artists from the seventies like started doing it. And it was just like, here are all my songs when I just play it on like acoustic guitar, you know? And then that, that's the whole new demand offering something new on it. Uh, and like having it as like a cohesive thing, I feel like is the way to go. I think you've listened to like Heim. Sure. They, do, they make like all their albums are pop. It's like pop music. Right. And then I see like YouTube clips of their concerts and they're rocking out. Mm-hmm. Like they're like a, a rock band that writes pop songs. Yeah. And like that seems like the kind of like the target demographic for like a live album. Yeah, I don't know who who modernly is making a, a live album because all the mu- music is like done in a computer nowadays. Mm-hmm. But but some a band like that where there's a huge difference between what you'd see at a show and what you would see here well, on an here album here on the record is different. Like even like uh I mean uh my, I think my dad had like a live album from like Kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a difference. You know, because in the album, in the in the studio, they're like pretending to sing, <laughs> and then, you know, on the shows, they're like rocking it <laughs> like it's a metal show. It's an experience. Yeah. They do this a bit on the best show all the time. <laughs> There's this clips of uh, I think it's Peter Chris trying to introduce. Uh, they have like a song about gin or something. Oh yeah, Kiss does, and he does this long rap at the beginning where he's like, "Anybody out there like to get high?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's 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 great, guys. We got to start wrapping the show up. Any any parting thoughts, uh, Matt Strickland? Well, Eat a Peach is definitely the best Allman Brothers album. Okay. Um, and I would just like to add to the live album conversation that uh, I think the vocals uh, is is what's great about a live album because you know vocals are so heavily processed and you know they do takes until they get it perfect and uh, you know sometimes a live album will have vocals that aren't aren't as quote unquote good but they're you know there's more feeling and right. the realness and rawness behind it yeah so yeah that's another reason live albums rule cool tim um oh yeah go ahead go ahead oh i was just gonna say thank uh thanks for letting me hang on this uh phone so long i'm gonna get off hey absolutely we'll talk soon buddy bye matt later matt strickland matt strickland here on the overtime show Tim, we're wrapping up. Any any parting words for people? Um, I think chocolate chip is the best kind of cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you, I'm, I love chocolate. You I agree think with you. The, the chocolate chocolate would be the best cookie because it's got the most chocolate in it. But I find the subtle contrast uh, between the chocolate chips themselves and the and the mm-hmm. sugary cookie uh, really is my favorite mm-hmm. uh, way to go. You know, it's I kind of the best you. worlds. And as I've matured, you know, I've I've grown to you know level moderation a little bit of you know a little bit of both. I agree with you. I think uh, I've had oatmeal chocolate chip too. I think that's, that's good. Fun. A whole chocolate is good. A sugar cookie is good, yeah. but chocolate chip is is really good. One of the greatest atrocities on the planet is when you see a, a cookie and you think it's a chocolate chip, and then you bite into it and it's a raisin. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's that's frustrating. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning into the Overtime Show. This has been uh, Colby Smith, the host of Young Persons Radio. I will be back next week with my guest, Patrick Keene, uh, next Sunday at 10 a.m. And Joe and the gang will most likely be back next week for Points of Order. In the meantime, stick around for the Brooklyn Conversation with Rosie and then at 1 p.m. for uh, Objection to the Rule. Keep that dial tuned to Radio Free Brooklyn all day. We're going to go out to, well, you know, what else? We have to. We have to. The Allman Brothers. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. And here they come. There we go. Overtime show.